Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 195 of All Booked Up, the Buffalo and Erie County Public Libraries podcast about books, movies, and all things pop culture. I am your host, Michelle Snyder. And I am Jacob Maracle. And we are here today, not yesterday, because <laughs> someone, I'm not going to mention any names, but just follow my voice over yeah, well, here yeah, there's, a, there's a mouse in the room or something. didn't want to get out of bed and ah. left me here like a like a poor little damsel in distress i was lonely okay in all fairness <laughs> it wasn't really a decision about not getting out of bed it's more like i was unconscious at the time and uh, was not giving the opportunity i get it i mean it was raining early in the morning if you had your window cracked and you could hear the rain with a cool breeze i don't know how i got out of every bed. night i put on uh, youtube on my tv and just like listen to rain sounds or snow sounds and oh, try yeah. to fall asleep. It's the best. So when the real rain kicks in, the body's like, whoa, this is good stuff. <laughs> it just goes into a coma at that point. It doesn't um, know what to do. It's okay, though. No one is upset because of the happiness that is Pride Month. Woohoo! It's one of my happier ones of the year, that's for sure. It's also nice knowing that, you know, Pride started as a riot and now it's more of a parade. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice, always good when you can make that transition. Yeah, we're you know, the battle is still happening. Sadly, it seems to be a forever ongoing battle, but there have been major bridges crossed, and we're we're going to celebrate that. Yeah, the big, you know, we just had the um, Pride Parade uh, last weekend. That was um, good time as always. I don't want to talk about it. I had to miss it. Oh. I'm really sad about it. But anyway, Ooh. this every year we do a celebration of Pride Month. We pick either films um, or books. This year we're going to focus on some of the – um, best new or classic books with LGBTQ authors and themes. Nice. Um, everything that we talk about is going to be on the shelves now or it will be pretty soon. So there's some new stuff coming in. Um, I think we know or, you know, most people know that visibility is one of the most crucial needs of the queer community to be understood, to be accepted. Uh, they need to first feel seen. And this has meant that centuries of authors writing about the experiences, love, the pain of the queer community have been really crucial in making progress towards uh, radical acceptance. I mean, you know, that's how you got to, the only way to really get people to accept something is to put it in their face and let them know that it's there. Like, yeah, like read about, about it. it, learn about it. Yeah. It's the best way. So, you know, obviously what we're talking about today is kind of an incomplete list, which is happily because there are so many titles out there now. Oh, yeah, we're like I said, we're the, like the the good thing about Pride Month is we get to focus on all these authors, and like even from when I started, the whole se- our whole collection of like authors for Pride Month has just exploded. Yeah, like just more people that have come out about it, they're writing about it now. It's pretty awesome. To There's see. more stories. It's really great. We're gonna keep the focus on books for adults across multiple genres. You're gonna find some established authors that you know, some exciting debut writers, and the occasional beloved celebrity. <laughs> Which I, I have two that I love very I, much. I can't wait to see uh, who we're talking about this month because there's a couple good ones out oh, there. Oh, yes. So let's hop into it. Happy Pride Month, everybody. I'm going to start with The Stonewall Reader. Oh. Um, this came out in 2019. It was edited by the New York Public Library um, because June 28th of 2019 marked the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising which is considered the most significant event in the gay liberation movement and the real catalyst for the modern fight for LGBTQ rights in the United States. Mm-hmm. So to celebrate, Jason Bauman, he's the New York Public Library Coordinator of Humanities and LGBTQ Collections, 
edited this volume drawing from the NYPL archives that includes first accounts, there's diaries, there's newspaper articles, and more stuff chronicling the years leading up to the riots Mm -hmm. and then documenting the fight itself. It also spotlights iconic activists who were really pivotal to the movement and, you know, giving room and space for all of the forgotten figures in the fight. It features a ton of diverse voices and interviews. It's really excellent. It helps to paint a crucial moment in queer history in the voices and the context of the people who were there. If you haven't read anything about this time, this is an excellent place to start is with the Stonewall Reader. I mean, yeah, you want to talk about an important event, that riot that ended up being the beginning of the whole gay rights movement, which, as we all know, is one of the biggest civil rights movements going on. Yeah. And there was not a, like, pleasant event. Like, if you were unaware of what happened that way, it was a... it's pretty some intense stuff going on down there. That's why the book is really great because you're getting these really firsthand accounts, people's diaries, um, people that were there, people that experienced it. So it's an excellent place to to keep going. Yeah, I mean, again, that's one of the points of this month. Everybody is to kind of learn the history of like the gay rights movement in America. Learn the history know. of the people around you. <laughs> it helps. It's kind of an important kind of deal, everybody. Pick what, do you, what are you recommending? All right, so I'm going to start with, uh, I'm going to go with the comic book Manga Route is how I'm going to begin, um, okay. begin today. So I'm going to go with Our Colors by Gingora Tagami. Okay, I'm uh, not, I don't know it. All right, so this one, uh, it, this one's got like a cool visual style. It's basically all showing in uh, reds and blues. Okay. You know, for dramatic effect. Sure. It basically tells the story of Sora Itoda, who's a uh, closeted second-year high school student um, who's kind of alienated by homophobia from his peers and the pressure of needing to pass his straight. One of the th- a lot of things people don't realize is if you think it's rough being a gay person in America, it's a lot more rough in other cultures, and Japan is one of those cultures where... Not exactly the most accepted thing. Okay, having to deal with over there. You you've lived there yourself, mm-hmm. so you're probably a lot more. Well, you might have more of an idea to that than I do, but I saw. I mean, a lot of the weirdos just banded together, which made me happy. Oh, okay. Well, that's so good. you know, you had like a whole culture of people who you'd be like, "There's a lot going on there." I feel like that's a more understanding, <laughs> diverse group over there wearing the the fuzzy animal hats. And yeah, as opposed like to the the guys wearing the stereotypical like. Five piece suits with the yeah, briefcase and all that. falling asleep on the we- on the sidewalks Tr- on the weekends. Oh, tr- <laughs> but anyway, trust me, guys, I am with you there. Uh, so, anyways, uh, so one day Sora meets an older man who runs a local cafe, uh, who the guy doesn't really try to hide his nature of being like a gay man. Mm-hmm. So he kind of becomes a mentor for Sora. Kind of shows him like what it's like to be when you can actually when you actually allow yourself to be what you really are. But he also kind of gives him an idea of that doesn't come without consequences. Like a part of his history comes back where he has to show like he had to give up an awful lot to kind of be the person that he is today. Okay. And that it's not always like a free, it's not always easy to be who you really are, but you should be. It's a really interesting uh, comic actually. And again, you got to remember that it's, it's different the way it's handled in all different cultures. So not only do you need to accept it and look at, in general, but you need to be, see it from other cultures and other points of view for people to know that it's like an ongoing fight. So Yes, this is why we're still doing this, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Every year, man, we're busting out a new one. Everything. Um, okay, so this is, a, this is a classic. This is from 1952, and we're talking about The Price of Salt 
by Patricia Highsmith. Um, she's our talented Mr. Ripley author. I don't know if you read any of those, but I, I really enjoy Patricia I the, Highsmith. I saw the movie. I didn't read the book. But. All right. We'll count that. So when this novel was first published, Highsmith was actually forced to publish it under a pseudonym um, because this just wasn't happening in the 50s. I mean, in the 50s, lesbian tales, if they existed, were supposed to end tragically. So her bold depiction of a hopeful ending for the love between an older socialite and a young shop girl was dangerous and groundbreaking. Um, it was also semi-autobiographical. Um, Teresa, the one character was inspired by Highsmith and the dramatic story of the socialite's divorce was inspired by the real struggle of one of her former lovers. Does this plot line sound familiar to you in the world of movies? It is kind of, it's ticking some boxes in the back of my head. It's because it became, that's what they made the film Carol was based on, um, which had its own huge impact. So um, if you loved Carol and you haven't read The Price of Salt, I, I would highly recommend it. Patricia Highsmith she can write. Oh, I like where you see. I like where your head's at there. Oh, you're, bringing, yeah. you're bringing out the good literature oh, at this point. Oh, yeah, I am. <laughs> All right, so if we're going to do that, i got to bring it back a little. <laughs> I'm going to bring it back to some B-movie pulp level. There we go. Uh, have you ever heard of the book Manhunt by Gretchen Felker Martin? No. All right, so well, <laughs> you're going to enjoy this one. <laughs> it is described as why the last man meets the girl with all the gifts, which if you know both of those things, I do. that's a very interesting <laughs> bit of imagery. Uh, so it's a post-apocalyptic novel that follows a trans woman or trans women and men on the coast where basically they spend their days hunting feral men and harvesting their organs, quote unquote okay. there for you, in a gruesome effort to ensure they'll never face the same fate. I don't really want to get too much into the rest of the plot because you can kind of use your imagination to see where this might be going. Um this book is ridiculously violent. Like, this is not one of those books oh, that really? skips okay. on it. Like, my description there was, you know, vague to say the least. But when they actually get into, like, what's going on in this book, they are getting into, you know, the minute of the whole deal. Um, but what I like about these books, I like the idea that there's a different take on the apocalypse. Like, usually when you get into this kind of thing, like men, quote unquote, are always like the the ones you need to watch out for. And it's an interesting take to flip it over and like they're the ones being hunted. So are the characters, there's just gay characters kind of just in a story. It's not focused on. No. And there's like a reason that they have to do the mutilation that they do. Like it's part of a part of the apocalypse as to why they have to do what they're doing. It sounds like a Jacob book if I ever did hear one. Oh, it is going to be coming to a TV near you in the the future. HBO Max is going to be looking for some... uh, some new kind of series, actually, judging by it's probably a stars kind of deal, but it's gonna be uh, it's gonna show up on one of those networks, I'm sure. Okay, um, I don't even know what to say about that. I'm just <laughs> gonna jump up, into something. Follow that, up that one. Good luck. One of my favorite humans that exists on this planet is David Sedaris. Oh, you are a fan. We've um, mentioned him a couple times. I'm a huge fan, and pretty much you can read anything by him at all is wonderful. But he does have a new book coming out this year which is called happy go lucky okay and it's kind of him talking about that you know the pandemic hits and like so many other people he was stuck in lockdown and he was unable to tour and read for audiences which is the part of his work that he loves the most so to cope he just walks for miles through like you know this nearly deserted city as he says just smelling only his own breath (laughs) 
<laughs> he starts, I'm sure that's a pleasant experience. He's like, he vacuums his apartment twice a day, um, starts thinking about all of the weird things in the world, like what do sex workers and acupuncturists, what are they doing during quarantine? Because if you don't know David Sedaris, his brain is so weird. Um, but everything that he writes is really hilarious. He just kind of captures the most unexpected, funny and poignant things about what is going on. So his take on the pandemic and being locked down, I know is going to be absolutely wonderful. If if, if you have to live through interesting times, people, there's no one better <laughs> to chronicle them than David Sedaris. So check out Happy Go Lucky, or like I said, anything. That's a, that's a very good question. What were acupuncturists and sex workers thinking during Well, they the weren't pandemic? they weren't having a great time. You think it was like <laughs> pro athletes where they're like raring to get out there again or they're like uh, I'm sure they were very interested in making money. Yeah, we haven't <laughs> done this in so long. I'm not really feeling it anymore. <laughs> Maybe. I have people to make a lot of career changes, so who knows. <laughs> it's like I'm going to get into knitting. That like acupuncturist like I got to get my love needles <laughs> yeah, out my, my needles. He's stupid. All right, I'm going to go with another uh, another movie choice here. Uh, well, it's a book first, and then a movie. That, okay. A movie that was eventually starring Russell Crowe and Nicole Kidman. So, Tell me about the book, though. Yeah, well, so let's go with Forget that. Forget those movies. <laughs> so this one is Boy Erased by Garrett Conley. Have uh, you, heard, you yeah, heard about this one? That's a sad story. Yeah, well, unfortunately, a lot of these books are going to be true, sad yeah. stories. Uh, so if you haven't heard about it, this one uh, is a 2016 memoir which recounts his childhood in a fundamentalist Arkansas family that enrolled him in conversion therapy. We are not a fan of conversion therapy on this show, to say well, the least. because, you know, it's not real, so yes. So if you don't know what gay conversion therapy is, it's basically they try to, like, pray the gay away is the, was, like, the slogan a lot of people use yeah. for it. So he gets sent into this program, and then the book basically revolves around his experiences about what it was like to be in this program and what it was like to deal with his family who, you know, are the ones that force him in there because he's kind of a rural religious family that he lives in, so being gay isn't exactly something, obviously, that anybody accepts. Yeah. So you really need to see what this can be like for some, for somebody who is gay having to go through this whole experience and what it's like from a first-person perspective, which is what this book gives you. It's not a fun experience to try to have somebody completely tell you your mind is wrong and to try to flip it around on you. Yeah. But we're lucky to have things like this to read because I feel like these are real empathy creators. This is what helps you understand why people are marching in the streets. Yeah, I mean... This is some terrible treatment that some of these people are having to go through every day for stuff that's literally not their fault at all. So it's good that you get to, you have to get you have to see these things and have them put right in front of you so you can yeah. understand where people are coming from and want to make some change for them to make things for the better. So definitely, that is a heavy story. I'm going to do one that is yeah, lighten it up a bit. It's a little less heavy, and it's called Less. By Andrew Sean Greer. Little, it came out in 2017. A little on the nose with that. But right. <laughs> so this is about Arthur Less. He is a 49-year-old gay writer. He's struggling to find any kind of real success in his writing. So he gets invited to the wedding of his ex-lover. And so he sets out on this extensive trip around the world, um, accepting all of these like kind of literary events that he gets invited to that he always says no to. But now he's saying yes because he's just trying to avoid this wedding at all costs. So it's kind of about all of the things that he ends up facing, you know, all of these, we'll just call them like little adventures that he goes little, on, little, little, sh- little shenanigans. Um, 
And, you know, through all of it, somewhere in there, he's turning 50, which is an event in itself. Um, So the book is satirical. It's really funny. I enjoyed it so much. It's about heartbreak. um, And it clearly left an impression on its readers because not only was it a New York Times bestseller for a really long time, it won the 2018 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. Oh. It's excellent. It's just... An that, that's honest, kind of a big deal. Absolutely. It's an honest story about an aging gay man dreading his 50th birthday and going through heartbreak. It's just the most understandable story that there is. I mean, if you want to talk about dreading 50th birthdays, man, that is a that is an event to dread. I understand you there, buddy. It makes me a little nervous, but... Getting up on the... Ooh. Got a little ways to go. <laughs> yeah. Are you, you're not even 40 yet. Our tie though, fifty. Our tie though, Michelle. I mean, if you count the me- metric system and you put, like, you know, maybe I was born in a I leap mean, year. You don't know. Don't push it. Born in a leap year in July. Don't rush it. All right, nope. What do you? What do you got? God, now I'm all depressed thinking about <laughs> being fifty and forty. And it's ugh. not that bad. You take care of yourself. Age is just a number. It's a, yeah, but it's an important number. All right, I'm trying here. <laughs> I appreciate that. So the next one I'm gonna go with. You know I'm a fan of the Marvel Universe, Michelle. You know that. How can you possibly squeeze in Marvel during this? I mean, I could, but I'm not going (laughs) to. Okay. So instead, we're going to go with uh, Simon versus the Homo Sapiens agenda. What does that have to do with Marvel, you ask? Because this is the first book in the quote-unquote Simon-verse. There's a whole series of these books that deal with different characters and different points of view. All oh, connected. okay. I have heard of this. So see, it all it all works out. It actually became a uh, another movie, another <laughs> for Netflix, uh, called Love, Simon. So you can always start checking those out if you want to see that one. Basically, what this one is, is the main character, Simon. Uh, he gets blackmailed about his anonymous email relationship with another boy in his class and a fellow classmate threatens to make him come out if he doesn't do uh you know doesn't help him get a date with one of simon's friends so it's one of those little hidden okay i don't know i don't know if it really counts as a Cyrano de bergerac situation but basically yeah they steal, sure sure they steal an email of his and he nobody knows that the kid's gay so it's like if you don't help me get a date with your friend then rude. everybody's gonna it's find rude, out okay it's high school shenanigans and i gotta tell you this probably happens a lot more than people understand, or um, I guess not. Really. Although I do like thinking that in a lot of places now, kids are way more comfortable coming out around oh, their sure. peers. Oh, sure. Progress. And, and it's also that, you know, people used to think that people didn't know in high school who already was yeah. the gay kid in school. It was pretty, pretty, I know it was pretty easy to tell back in my day who yeah. it was, but um, anytime you can bust out an entire universe out of something, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. So go check <laughs> it out, everybody. Okay, my next one is by one of my all-time favorite authors, James Baldwin. Love you forever, boo. There you go. This came out in 1956, and I'm talking about Giovanni's Room. Um, So this is about an American expat who has spent much of his life convincing himself that he isn't gay. But then he meets bartender Giovanni, um, and David really struggles with his love for Giovanni and with his lover's small, dirty room that he stays in, thus the title of the book. Um, he wants to separate himself from the gay community, from like seedy bars, from drag queens, and from everything that's effeminate. And it's a really powerful classic about internalized homophobia, shame, repression, and self-destruction. You know, we don't maybe always address that, that there may be outside people who are judging you and making you feel terrible. But because of that, that gets passed down in a way that you make yourself feel that way. So it's a really beautiful book. Everything Baldwin writes is really beautiful. And 
he wrote once or he said once in an interview that this book was not so much about homosexuality. It's what happens if you're so afraid that you finally just can't even love someone. That's a depressing thought. It's totally depressing. But he writes really complex um, emotional books. And, you know, the two gay lovers of the book were white which brought some criticism and surprise. Um, And his American publisher even told him that he should burn the book and that the theme of homosexuality would alienate him from his black audience. But luckily he did publish it and it has remained an inspiration for countless queer authors ever since. Again, I bring up James Baldwin a lot. If you haven't read anything, Giovanni's Room is an excellent place to start. Man, what drama queens they were back in the 50s. I Good, know. Burn the book. My goodness. What I are mean, you talking about? Just slow your roll. Relax, everybody. <laughs> I mean, Let's just relax. Yeah, we don't need to go burning books, everybody. <laughs> we it's sure, unnecessary. We sure don't. You know, it's you, you just don't read it. Here's a thing, guys. <laughs> stupid to burn books. Because e-books exist, so what, <laughs> what are we burning? What are we burning, guys? We burn it's all just on the internet. It's all it's unnecessary. Uh, I think it's more of a statement, but I like where you're going with it. <laughs> just doesn't <clears throat> doesn't make any sense. Oh, my God. I'm busting out Dana Carvey jokes from the early 90s. That's how you know I haven't been sleeping well lately. That's a fact. Please <laughs> move on. All right. So how about this one? We'll go with 2012's How to Survive a Plague, the story of how activists and scientists tamed AIDS by David France. Talk about a book that we could all kind of read. but a, Talk about a book. Yeah. yeah. So if you haven't, uh, if you don't know what it is, in case you didn't know, everybody, America did not exactly jump on the AIDS epidemic in the best ways or actually acknowledge it for, mm. what was it, a decade or so? <sighs> pretty, pretty much the entire 80s? Too long. Yeah. So basically people were out there dying in the streets from a virus that nobody was even bothering to investigate or find out what was causing it. And we're just kind of like shrugging their shoulders and be like, eh, no big deal. Not a right way to handle things, everybody. So what ended up happening was like the gay community in New York City and elsewhere basically had to develop their entire treatment program for themselves. They had to find out what like drugs might work with it, what kind of treatment regimens you need, how you need what you actually need to do to take care of yourselves. They would like figure out which doctors, which programs would help you do this. They had to do this all on their own, basically, yeah. because they were just hung out to dry and die, basically. By, uh, I mean, there were hospitals that wouldn't even let people be admitted that had HIV or AIDS. Yeah, I mean, Magic Johnson for the Lakers had to retire from the NBA because people didn't know how you caught AIDS. They're like, oh, if he sweats on me, am I going to catch it? Yeah. So it's a whole, it was a whole thing, everybody. So you want to, like, having lived through COVID now, we all kind of understand what happens when you maybe don't take a, a virus as seriously, but we still took COVID very seriously. And what happens when people don't learn about the virus and how things work and how it's transmitted and things like that. That's really what led us, I think, into an even bigger mess. Yeah, I mean, I remember, like, when I was growing up, it was just, like, this boogeyman that was always, like, in the background. Like, nobody really understood what was going on. There was, like, misinformation on how you could catch it, how it could spread. Like, it had to be horrifying. Like, we lived through, we just lived through a virus that was around for, that's still around, but was, like, majorly around for, like, two years. This one was around for 20-something years, I mean, it killed, like, years. a generation yeah. of gay men. And just nobody had any idea. Luckily, now they, you know, now that they focused on it, they kind of have it, you know, they have treatments for it, they have drugs for it, they might even have a cure for it, according oh, yeah. to some reports. I so. mean, I have um, a friend with HIV who, at this point, 
like when tested reads that it reads zero. Yeah. Which zero is, virus in the body. Which is fantastic to yeah. hear, but you know, if they'd have focused on a little earlier to think how many people they could have saved ahead of time. That's so. an excellent choice of book. Yeah. Go check it out, but I get some poignant information so it doesn't happen again in the yeah. future. Got this Seriously. monkey pox running around. We don't need that running wild. Oh, I don't want to talk about that <laughs> at all. So stressful. Um, this is another book coming out 2022. It's called Burn the Page, a true story of torching doubts, blazing trails, and igniting change by Donica Rome. You hear that, part-time workers? You screw up around here. We're going to follow the title of this book, get you in line. Library jokes. I don't even... That was... <laughs> Please don't listen to him. Um, so I don't know if you know, Donica Rome made national headlines when, as a uh, transgender former frontwoman for a metal band, nice, and a political newcomer, she unseated Virginia's most notoriously anti-LGBTQ 26-year incumbent Bob Marshall as state delegate. That's so it's awesome. amazing. Um, but before uh, she made history, she had to change her vision of what was possible in her own life to be like, I'm transgender and I'm going to like run for office. Yes. Question so mark. doing so is a matter of storytelling. OK, so during her campaign, uh, Donica hired an opposition researcher to dredge up every story from her past that her opponent might seize on to paint her negatively. Okay. And then she dismantles all the stories that her opponents tried to hedge against her, showing how through brutal honesty and loving authenticity, you know, you can just be like, I'm a person. Pretty and much, it, And man. it worked. It, that's why you, you just come out and you laugh, say something, laugh about it, and then it's not a thing anymore. I'm a human. You can't use it against me. It is an extremely inspiring manifesto about how it is, like I said, possible to set fire to the stories that you don't want to be in anymore. Whether written by you or about you by someone else, you can rewrite your future. Um, and it's a really inspiring book. And it's kind of you're like, this is an amazing moment in history when it seems bad because, you know, it always seems bad. You you do look at these moments and think you have to see progress in that. Yeah, you got to. It, it, stuff gets only gets better after it gets bad a little bit. You know, that's so I'm telling it's myself a, it's a Batman thing. every morning as I wake up. That's just, what I'm trying to tell myself. You look at the clock and you're like, it's got to get better. after this. <laughs> yeah. The worst moment of my life is. I was just having a great dream. Now here I am staring at this red clock. <laughs> you know, man, why don't you give us like, I don't know, give us one more. Two uh, more. Okay, quick, well, quick ones. Uh, Legendary Children. Uh, this one centers around by Tom Fitzgerald and Lorenzo Marquez. This centers around the idea that RuPaul's Drag Race is the queerest show in the history of television. Sure. And that it's, I think most people <laughs> will kind of agree with that one. It's pretty, pretty cut and dry. Um, and that when you look at the show, it's actually kind of a museum as a whole for the queer, transgender, LGBTQ community in whole because, you know, the whole theme of the show and a lot of the Drag Race ones is that they talk about the history of gay culture a lot. So, and RuPaul, if you want to talk about somebody who's been out and proud Just for, the best, forever. the best person. Oh, yeah, the best man. So, you know, check that one out. Uh, what else do I got here? And the category is Inside Ameri New York's Vogue House and Ballroom Community by Ricky Turner. 
This one was turned into the FX series Pose. Yeah, we talked before about how wildly important the ballroom scene was, and it was something yeah. I knew nothing about. Yeah, I mean, this is a great show. I've actually seen a couple episodes. It's yep. real fun to watch. So if you want to learn about that community, get the, where the idea where the show came from in book form, go check it out, man. It's a good one to read. Okay, um, so I'm going to talk about another new book um, from 2022 called I Was Better Last Night by Harvey Firestein. Oh, see? great I, did you just read the title of that in his voice because i know i did i know so you might think i don't know who that is and i'm telling you that yes you do so we're going to do a, a quick clip from him and then i'll describe the book i mean at very least i'm the guy with the voice you know then hopefully i'm the guy who's really funny with the voice and then the guy who can not only do comedy but can do tragedy as well with the voice and the guy that can really command a stage with the voice <sighs> I have double chords. We all have double chords. You have your real vocal chord, and then you have a false chord over. My false chords are overdeveloped, and so you get a double voicing is actually what you hear. There, there it is. There it is. It's the best. It's the, it's the best. One of the best voices. One of the best and worst voices. Truly, it truly. Ma- it makes you want to throw a lozenge at that guy's face. And you're face. like, he does Broadway. It's amazing. So this is a poignant and hilarious, obviously, memoir from this cultural icon, gay rights activist, and four-time Tony Award-winning actor and playwright, revealing never-before-told stories of his personal struggles and conflict, of sex and romance, and of his fabled career oh just so awesome dude that guy is fantastic like just him in hairspray mrs doubtfire there's a million different uh, things that guy independence day guy's been in cheers the torch song trilogy that was really huge you want to talk about a guy you don't even need to see him as soon as you hear that voice you can totally picture him <laughs> but he does you know you've got candid recollections which provide a rich window into downtown new york city life gay culture and the evolution of theater of which he has been a very defining figure as well as a moving account of his family's journey of acceptance. Yeah, 70 years young this year, so good for him. Yeah, that's man. wild. So definitely check that out. And then I'm going to, I didn't want to bring this up because I think we've had enough death talk oh. in the past few weeks, but the book I'm currently reading, because you know I always got to, I always got to keep up with what's going on out there. Stick with the trends. Is Last Call, A True Story of Love, Lust and Murder in Queer New York by Elon Green. I just have to say it is about like a serial killer that was going after uh, gay men in the 80s that I knew nothing about. Oh. It's but it's messed up. So you know what? That is one you read with caution. I'm just putting it out there because if you are like a true crime person like I sadly am... It's well, it's also a good choice. If, if a Michelle's re- recommending it, guys, you know it's actually going to be a good book. This is one of my terrible crime <laughs> ideas. You this did pretty good government. today. I'm pretty pleased oh, with everything. You know, but like, occasionally I pull it out, man. <laughs> I, I come up with some good stuff occasionally. Sadly, we are out of time, though. Why don't you plug us up? All right. So if you want to know more about uh, uh, Gay Pride Month or you want to know about the gay history and gay culture in America and the world in general, stop on by your local library. We'll help you out, especially now. we got 37 branches all throughout Erie County, so stop on by and check them out. Uh, don't forget to visit our website at www.buffalolib.org. See what programs we got going on. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at allbooked.pod and let us know what you got going on for Pride Month. And if you haven't heard, we now have Hoopla, 
so you can stream movies from home. Oh, yeah. You can stream whole albums from home. Mm -hmm. And we have Overdrive magazines. All of them, man. This is all stuff that you get just by having a library It's card. amazing. Hundos and they're free, guys. So there's literally no reason not to be taking advantage of all the stuff that you're technically paying for anyway. A lot of this stuff you can find on there as well. Yep. So, Jacob, I know we talked about this, but did you know the Stonewall riots were technically not America's first LGBTQ uprising. Uh, I was unaware of that. So in May of 1959, okay. a group of LGBTQ individuals who were fed up with being mistreated by the police fought back at Cooper Donut in Los Angeles. <laughs> According to Out Magazine, the group, which was led by several transgender women, pelted officers with donuts, coffee, and paper plates until they were forced to retreat and return with larger numbers. So it is believed to be the first documented LGBTQ uprising in US history. It's one of those, you can't hurt them unless you hit them with their own selves. So throwing <laughs> donuts at the police was the only way to get them out of I there, mean, apparently. it's kind of crazy, but I'm like also brave because I'm sure that didn't end well for those people. I'd imagine you hit <laughs> a cop in the face with a cruller. He's it's, a little aggravated and takes his, his, his L.A. cop will take his uh, anger aggressions out, out a little yes. bit later on. Yeah. Um, the first gay pride was held in Chicago. So, oh, of course. Yeah, this took place in 1970 to mark the first anniversary of Stonewall. And while the Christopher Street Gay Liberation Day March in New York City, that's always considered to be the first pride parade. Mm -hmm. It actually occurred one day after Chicago held its first march. So technically, that makes Chicago the birthplace of pride. Those poor fish. Like, they're always getting dye thrown on them. They're getting, <laughs> like, the rainbow dye put on there. They don't know what's going on. It's oh, a good start, though. So the pride flags have their own interesting histories. The rainbow flag is now ubiquitous symbol of the LGBTQ community. Sure. First appeared in the 1970s. Um, but Harvey Milk, the openly gay San Francisco city supervisor, he tasked artist and activist Gilbert Baker with creating a symbol for the gay community to use in place of the pink triangle, which Nazi Germany forced gay men to wear in concentration camps. Yeah. So he was like, that's not coming back. That's not going to be our symbol. So Baker created the first pride flag in 1978, dyeing all of the fabrics himself. Nice. Very exciting. That's pretty fantastic. It's man. a great flag. Great, um, great flag. Really pops when you look at it. It sure does. And this is the most important one of all. Not all pride parades and LGBTQ celebrations are held in June. So while June is traditionally the month that we celebrate sure. pride, many southern parades occur in the autumn, probably to take advantage of cooler weather. Yeah. Atlanta Pride, Orlando Pride, and Kentucky Pride in Louisville all occur closer to National Coming Out Day, which is October 11th, if you don't know. Um, other events, such as Atlanta Black Pride, which is held during Labor Day weekend, um, and occur throughout the year. A ton of them do. So that means that you can celebrate LGBTQ Pride almost any time you want. Right. And I, we hope that you do. Yeah, go check it. It's got to be. It's going to be an interesting experience, to say the least. Checking out a Kentucky uh, gay pride event. Huh? Can't imagine. Maybe someday putting it on the bucket <laughs> list. But thank you guys so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your pride, and we will catch you next time. Bye. <laughs>